We're going to be looking at 2 Peter 1 this morning as we have been for several weeks, uh, unpacking uh, just a few verses here where Paul, or Peter is talking about what change looks like in the life of a believer and how do we change and how does the gospel transform us. Imagine a boat with about seven men in it on a crystal clear sea. And they've been there all afternoon. Some of them have fallen asleep. Some of them are working and fishing. And then the wind starts to pick up. And the sea starts to get a little choppy. And then choppier and choppier as the storm is blowing in and things are intensifying. And all of a sudden, this ship is floating around on this, on this sea and, and the men in it do not know if they're going to survive. They are unsure. They are being tossed around. And there's one man in the boat who's remaining asleep in this, pretty unfazed. If you know the story, that man's name is Jesus. And his disciples are fearing for their lives. And in their desperation, this friend of theirs who has mentored them, discipled them, led them, who they've seen perform miracles, they turn to him because he's the powerful one of the group. And they get into his face as he's sleeping and they wake him up with these words. Don't you care that we're perishing? Which might just be the most ironic statement in all of Scripture. Because he's the second person of the Trinity incarnate. Who stepped out of eternity and into time to take on flesh, to humble himself to take on flesh, to offer that body up as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. He's there in that boat because he's there in the flesh because he had come to die precisely because he cares about their perishing. We're in the boat. You are. Hardship, suffering, turmoil, Your world is upside down. You don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if you're going to survive the storm that you're in right now. And the prayer of your heart, whether you would even acknowledge that you believe in God or not, is does anyone care that I'm perishing? Scripture has a lot to say to us about hardship about suffering, about the call and the need to endure in the face of difficulty. And it's hard to endure. It's hard to persevere. The Bible says that the Christian life is like a race that we run. How many of you here, show of hands, would say, I am a runner? Show of hands, maybe, I don't know, maybe eight of you? How many of you in this room would say, I can run? See, we know, right, that there's a difference. When somebody says, are you a runner, they mean something different than can you do anything other than walk, (laughs) right? We know that. And what we know is this, right, is that when somebody says I'm a runner, what they mean is they can run distance. They can run for a while, Right? And I can't run for a while. I can run out of a room. And then I have to stand and breathe 
and catch my breath, right? The Bible says, hey, Christian, guess what? The Christian life is a race, and you're called to run it with endurance. It also tells us, as we've been talking about all morning, also know this, Christ is with you. He's with you in this life. Everything that you need for life and godliness, He has given you. So know that too. The question that we're going to focus on today as we talk about hardship and suffering in our lives, in this race that we're running, or in this ship that's being tossed around on the sea, is okay, if Scripture says that He's with me, how is He with me? How is He with me in my suffering, in my pain, in my hardship? When He calls me to endure, when He calls me to persevere, when He calls me to long-suffering and patience, and He says, I'm with you, specifically, how are you with me in this? Because that makes all the difference, doesn't it, in how we respond to the suffering that's going on. I want to read this passage. We're going to watch a video in a little bit that is this video about a father and son running team. Uh, they do triathlons and marathons and things like that. And, and it's a picture, this video that we're going to watch of this father-son team of how difficult it is to endure, how difficult it is to run a race, to be a team together in this call to endure and to persevere. And it gives us an interesting and fascinating window of insight into what this race is that we run as Christians. How do I endure? How do I persevere? How do I run this race set before me well? How do I bear up under the hardship and the strain and the struggle of being in this boat that's being tossed around on the sea? How do I know that I'm not going to die, that Jesus isn't going to miss that detail? First, or 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. And then we're going to talk about the part of the scripture that we're focusing on. He says this, Peter. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see that? He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine or participants with God in this life. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. So there, Peter's saying, God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness in order that in knowing Christ, you would be a participant with the Father in all these things that he's given you. That your life would be lived in this face-to-face -face union. That the two of you would be a team in this race that you run. He continues, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, as we go into this list, remember, he's already said, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. So these aren't things we go off and find in a far country and bring back. These are things that he's given us. He's saying, engage with them. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or knowledge or, or, or obedience or goodness, and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's saying everything that you need for life and godliness God has given you in His Son that you may participate with Him in this life as you run this race together so that 
your life will be effective and fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. Your life will be drenched in meaning. Let's talk about the words that we're focusing on today. Today we're talking about this part where he says, add to your self-control steadfastness. We don't use the word steadfastness conversationally. Very often at the 9 a.m. service, I tried to use it spontaneously in a sentence and I couldn't. Um, I, I struggled. I could come up with one probably. But the point is, is, we don't really use that word. So what does it mean? The English translations of the Bible give us a couple of options that all kind of get to the same idea. The ESV says steadfastness. The NIV says add to your self-control perseverance. King James, add to your self-control patience. New Living Translation, patient endurance. Others, long-suffering. See, this is the idea. It's this long-suffering, steadfast, persevering, patient endurance. Add that to your self-control. Why does this matter? Why is Peter talking about this? Why does he say, add to your self-control steadfastness? Well, what he's saying is he's saying to you, endure. Endure in the face of adversity and suffering. But it's not just that. He's also saying, you know, expect that in this life there will be seasons, days, moments, decades where you will need to endure. You will need to persevere, where life will be complicated and hard, and you will feel like you're in that boat being tossed around on the sea, and the question coming out of you will be, don't you care that I'm perishing here? In that, Peter says, endure. And there's a relationship that I think is interesting between the call to self-control and the call to endurance or perseverance. You could think of it this way. You could think that, that perseverance is self-control exercised over time. Does that make sense? Perseverance is self-control a lot in a row. You know what I'm saying? Or you could think of it this way, that self-control and perseverance are two sides of a coin. That when he calls you to self-control, in a way there's this call here to say, be measured in the way that you regard and approach pleasure. Whereas perseverance or endurance is also be measured and thoughtful about the way that you approach pain. On the one hand, pleasure. On the other hand, pain. What he's saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be thinking intentionally in a Godward way about the role and the function and the power of pleasure in your life and the role and the function and the power of pain in your life. See, self-control says, don't let every appetite rule and reign over you. Perseverance says, don't let the inability or unwillingness to satisfy an appetite and the pain that comes with that rule over you either. And this is an important thing for us to understand because if we're exercising self-control, the odds are really, really good that we're denying ourselves. And in the process of denying ourselves, we're feeling hunger, pain, dissatisfaction, and then we're having to persevere in the midst of of that, Peter is saying in this life you're going to have trouble. And it's not just Peter who says this, it's all of Scripture that says this. In this life you're going to have trouble. What's the value of suffering? Why doesn't God just get rid of it? Why doesn't He just say, the cross has happened, Jesus is risen, at first Easter has come and gone, 
And now your life as a Christian is going to be one where I promise you there won't be any hiccups, no more storms on the sea anymore. You're going to run this race with endurance and you're going to be one of those runners that just makes everybody else kind of angry. Where you finish the marathon and you're like, I'm going to go ride 100 miles on my bike now. And then I'm going to go ahead and swim two miles and make it a triathlon day. And then after that, I'll just rest and do it again tomorrow. You know, that kind of thing. Why doesn't he just do that for us? Paul talks about this in Romans. He talks about the value that suffering has in your life. What would it be like for us to look at the suffering and the pain in our lives and say, there's value in this. There's something important in this. Here's what Paul says. In Romans 5, he talks about how the world admires people who are able to bear up under incredible suffering. You know, you've maybe met people like this, people who are in the last stages of a terminal cancer, and they seem to be the strongest person in whatever room they're in. You know? And you just wonder, I wish I could have that. How do you get that? How are you so strong? How are you so courageous? Where does such inner strength and peace come from? And Paul tells us in Romans 5, this. He says, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see what he's saying? Where does that peace, where does that resolve, where does that strength come from in the midst of suffering? It comes from suffering. It comes from pain. It comes through it. Paul says, suffering produces endurance in you. Makes you stronger. And that endurance forms and shapes your character. It builds your character. And that character is one where you have hope now. You have hope in the midst of suffering and trials. And he says, in this hope, it doesn't disappoint. There's a confidence in you that you know that it's right and it's safe and it's good for you to hope because the Lord is with you and he is strong. In that boat, as those men cried out, don't you care that we're perishing to the one who was God in the flesh to offer up his life as the atoning sacrifice for their sins so that they would have life in him eternally says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And what does it do to the disciples? It doesn't make them go, that was a close call. It makes them look at Jesus in terror and to say, we forgot. The wind and the waves obey him. That's the one who is with us. In the midst of our storm, he's the one who speaks to the weather and the weather complies. So what's he saying here in Romans when he's saying hope comes from suffering? He's saying that, well, this is how he applies it to his life later in Romans 8, 18. He says this, this is the fruit that this has in him. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time that they're not worth comparing to the glory that awaits. Do you see there's a paradigm change that's happened in Paul here? He's a man who's very familiar with suffering, hardship, endurance, arrested, beaten, thrown in prison, challenged, hated, stoned. And he says, all of this is turning my understanding of my own suffering and hardship and everything else in my life 
to this reality that this world is passing away and there is a future glory that is coming. But we don't see hardship like this, do we? Most of us have one simple visceral reaction to pain. And it is what? Find a way to stop the pain. Find a way to end it. And so we medicate. Or we find ways to soothe ourselves. We escape into things. We isolate ourselves from relationships. We say, it's too hard to be in relationships. Relationships hurt me. So I'm going to have a thousand relationships instead of three. And none of them are going to really know me. And I'm going to move like a ghost in and out of these rooms and these circles of friends. And they're all going to think I'm fine. Is that you? Do you do that? I have one person just brave enough to say, if I do that, awesome. But do you see what's happening here? We're saying, pain, I don't want to feel pain. I got to stop pain. I got to get pain out of my life. But Peter says in the passage we just read, hey, but to your faith, add knowledge to that. Add the knowledge of the gospel. Add the knowledge of what's true to your life. And we just read two passages of Scripture that give us knowledge about pain, right? Let's take this in its context, right? Paul's saying, or Peter's saying, add to your faith obedience, add to your obedience knowledge. Here's knowledge. Paul says this, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces hope. Hope produces character. Or no, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. In other words, here's the knowledge. Suffering may hold the key to your spiritual maturity and peace. It may be in your life because God has it there because he's building endurance in you so that he can shape your character so that your hope will be in him. Maybe the thing you don't want to do is in that pain. Maybe you want to step right into it even deeper and say, why is this here? Here's another bit of knowledge that we just got from Romans 8. He says that the hardships that we know in this life, they don't compare to the future glory that awaits. What's the knowledge? I look at the storm and the sea and I think this is greater than any trouble that this world has ever seen. And Jesus says, I can just say a word and it's done. And I'm with you. I'm with you in this race you run. I'm with you in this. In other words, the knowledge is our suffering is designed to turn our eyes onto a future hope, which is a greater reality than the reality of our present pain. That's where endurance is. It's in this character of knowing that my hope is in a future glory where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain or death or sadness or divorce or broken relationships. You see what he's saying? Suffering is an invitation to you and to me today. And we do one of two things with it. We can say suffering is an invitation for me to close my eyes to what God is doing in order to cut off the pain or suffering is an invitation for me to open my eyes to what God is doing in my life right now. What are you suffering in right now? What is hurting you? What is that thing, that storm that you're in, that race that you're running where you just feel like, I'm not a runner. I can't do this, and it's not right for you to ask me to. Who's supposed to be able to handle this? It's really the question. What does God expect of you to handle? What does He expect you to be able to put up with? 
What do you do when suffering comes? Because the Bible doesn't promise you an easy life. <laughs> it promises you lots of suffering. In fact, Jesus says, hey, and also the suffering, a lot of it will be specifically because you love me. People will hate you because of me. Life will be hard. Your heart is going to groan under the brokenness of creation, and all of creation is going to groan with you. That's what the Bible tells us. But we respond by saying, no, no, no pain. Unfortunately, sometimes the only thing we can do to, to, to stop the pain is just kill our heart. I'm just going to shut it down. I'm going to be one of those people that you can't really ever know anymore. You can't get to. You can't get close to. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to kill my hope while I'm at it to end this pain. I'm going to dodge the suffering of my own heart, and I'm going to do it by abandoning significant relationships and difficult relationships. I am going to dodge the suffering of my own heart by achieving and achieving and achieving and becoming greater than you ever thought I could become. That way, if we're ever struggling in our relationship, I can take an ivory tower position of, I'm unimpeachable, look how much I've achieved, look how together I have things. I dodge the suffering in my heart by filling my life with distractions that keep me isolated from other people, even when I look like I'm present in the room. You have no idea if I'm really tracking with you right now, even as I'm preaching this sermon. Because I've done a lot of these. And I can look at this as a job, right? Doctors can do that. Counselors can do that. What's next? Oh, first, Second Peter 1, that part on perseverance and suffering. I can do that, but not engage with you. Because then I might have to think about my own need for the gospel in these words. And there would be no division between any of us in this room but the word of God speaking to us. Scripture says, hey, suffering has value. It has value for you. It keeps our hearts restless in this world. Do you know how valuable that is? That our hearts would be restless in this world? That the Lord would say, I'm letting you engage with the brokenness of this world so that you would never trust that this world could ever satisfy you. That's good for you. The Lord is building your character that way. He's giving you hope. Now, all of this that I've said so far, we could go a couple of ways and land in this plane. One way we could go is to say, so listen, buck up, try harder, know God is with you, that he loves you, and quit your whining and complaining. Put up with the things that are going on in your life, the hard people that you have relationships with. Just take it on the chin, sacrifice, live as a martyr before the Lord, and deal with it, people. Or we could say, wait a minute. That means that you're saying, Russ, that the source of my hope is me, that I got to run this race. That Jesus is there behind me, he's cheering me on, he's rooting for me. And that's my motivation, is he's telling me, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. The gospel does damage to that and tells us you can't do it on your own. But everything that you need for life and godliness, he has given you. And he's given it to you through his spirit who lives in you, if your faith is in Christ steadfastness focuses on the source of your hope. 
What is your hope in? This suffering that leads to endurance, that produces character, that leads to hope. What is the source of that hope? Peter is writing words. These may have been the last words that he ever wrote. Second Peter, he says in the rest of this chapter of chapter 1, he describes how he's in jail. He describes how Christ has revealed to him that he's come to the end of his life, that he's about to be martyred for his faith. These are a dying man's last words to young believers. And he's saying, add to your faith endurance. And he's a man who endures. Oh, and by the way, he was one of the men in Jesus' face saying, don't you care that we're perishing? He's saying this. He says this at the end of 2 Peter. According to Christ's promise, according to Christ's promise, Peter was a man who depended upon the promises of Christ. He's saying, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's saying that his hope rests in Christ and in the fulfillment of every promise which are ours in Christ. And what that means is in your hardship, in your suffering, in my hardship, in my suffering, my world is not about to come unglued because Christ is with me. And he's not just with me, but it's how he's with me. He's with me as the one who is my provision. He's everything I need. The race that I run is the race that he has run for me. So think about your life where you're struggling most for endurance and patience. What's the fight in your heart? What are you fighting? Think about it. Name it today. Maybe it's an internal fight of anxiety and fear and loneliness. And you're just like, I'm always anxious, always. And it's a war within me all the time. Or maybe it's sorrow over changing circumstances that are beyond your control. Here's an example. Midtown 12 South has gone to two services. And that means that for some of you, you don't see people that you used to come to church with on a regular basis. And that can be something where you feel like, I feel a little lost at church. I feel like I don't see these people that are invested in me and I'm invested in them in an ongoing way. What does it look like to endure in that and to know the Lord is with me, He's in this? Maybe there's this sense in you that the Lord is taking you to a new level of maturity and courage, but you have this premonition that what it means for the Lord to take you to a new level of maturity or conviction or courage is that He's going to have to expose some ugly stuff and deal with some things in you and it feels like the road is perilous and you feel like you're being tossed about. Maybe it's none of what we're talking about today. Maybe none of this even makes sense to you. You've never considered that there could be a God involved in your struggles. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time and you're saying, wait, wait. You're saying that there's a God who works through difficulty and hardship in order to shape my character in a way that gives me hope for the future? Yes. Yes. Peter's writing this letter to appeal to us to believe that God is present. The key to your endurance is to see who's really running this race for you. What does this race really, really look like? in your hardship, and the things that you're struggling with. Every struggle in your life, every hardship, every broken heart, every limit, every weariness is an, is an opportunity for you to appeal to the love of God in Christ over you to say, Lord, what are you doing 
in my life in this struggle? Why is the struggle so hard for me? What do I need to get satisfaction for my heart? And what is it that you would have for me in this? What are you showing me about my need for you? What are you showing me about your commitment to care for my heart and to change me? What are you working on? What are you working to break in me? What are you working to heal in me? Like Christ in the boat, Christ is with us. He's with us. Always loving us in the midst of our struggles. How? How is he with us? We're going to close with a video that I think is an amazing picture of what it looks like to have Christ present with us in our struggles, in this race that we run. This is going to be the uh, way, the reflection time, the closing time at the end of the service. When this video is over, uh, Carly is going to come and, and lead us in a doxology. But let me pray before we watch. Lord, I know that in a room this size, with all these faces here, that some of these struggles and hardships that we're dealing with run deep and run far back into our timeline. I know that some of them are things that we feel incredibly guilty about. Failures, colossal collapses in uh, morality or ethics or compassion. And yet your word tells us that because of what you've done for us, there's no condemnation for those who are in you. So Lord, would you help us through watching this video understand what it means when you say that you are with us and when you say that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, would you draw from us an exaltation of praise to you as we delight in the ways that you love us and run this race with us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.